welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I am joined by comedian and author Shappi Korsandi. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good, thanks. Welcome to the Divorce Club. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy. Are you? Well, how does it feel when I say to you, you are divorced? Well, do you know, I forget. Sometimes I forget I was ever married. It was 10 years ago that we split up. We spent longer in the divorce process than we did being married. So how long were you married for? We were married for three years and we broke up. And then the divorce took about the same time. <laughs> Just Wow. Yeah, that took about two years, two and a half years of going through it all. And we went into court twice. And it was, yeah, yeah, the worst time of my life. Yeah, it's really bad. So the whole f- process took three years. Yes, the process took forever. And I have such a deep psychological problem with form filling. I don't know if you had to fill out a form E, but the form E is set to torture people into just staying in their marriages. Wow. I don't think I remember a form titled E. I remember filling out a lot of forms. How long is form E? It's about 137 pages long. I don't know. (laughs) I think you have to fill in form E if you have any kind of issue with how to split your assets. So if you didn't have that issue, then you wouldn't have had to fill one out. But we did. And they ask you everything, like how much have you spent on toilet paper, you know, in the last year, exactly what your outgoings are, exactly what you own and what what it costs. And just the minutiae of your day-to-day existence, you have to fill out in form, form. It's just ghastly. Sorry, my, my dog wants to go out, but she can't because she's digging. We buried a mouse in the garden and now she keeps going and trying to dig up the same mouse. And it's my life um, you know, oh. is pretty grim in some ways. A dead mouse. Oh, I mean, it's fine. I've forgiven her, but she, was, uh, she found another dead mouse that looked like it had been buried. And the kids came up and said, there's a soggy, crumpled mouse in Taylor's mouth. 
And um, yeah, she held it in her mouth all morning and wouldn't let go of it. And it was just really, really upsetting. Oh. Only... Do you think it's a metaphor to, for divorce? Well, I think it's a metaphor for what the hell's going on. Why am I only getting one walk a day? <laughs> <laughs> and also the cats, the, 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 my tabby cats calm down now. But for a while during lockdown, he brought home several mice every single night. And animal behavioralists told me that it's because we're, we're in all the time. Whereas before, like you, my life was always in, out, in, out, you know, away for several nights. But everyone's home. No one's leaving at any point. So the cat's going, well, if we're all locking down, you guys need more food. Yeah, because they're meant to be gifts, dead animals. There's no subtlety about it. She drops the dead mice at my feet or in my shoe. <laughs> Oh, wow. (laughs) She really wants you to eat this dead mouse. Yeah. And one Christmas, there was a Robin Redbreast in my slipper. So that was festive. It was nice. Oh, no. They're a protected species. Robin Redbreast, really? Yeah. I think your cat will be arrested. Oh, do you know what? Right now, I wouldn't mind. If someone came to my door (laughs) and said, I'm afraid we're going to have to take all your pets into custody, I'd be like, later. Okay, sure. Have them. Did you have the pets when you were getting divorced or are they a new addition? No. That didn't have to come into the forms. No, no, no. God, no. I mean, my life is full of pets now. But no, when we were married, we had no pets. So we had two cats called Victoria and Albert, brother and sister. Oh, nice. Which is slightly weird that I've known them a after A little bit, couple, yeah, yeah. No. So we had to decide who got the cats. And so I got the house, so I got the cats too. So I kind of won in the pet scenario. Was he okay with that? Or did you did he fight you for the cats? Well, originally he suggested we have one each. Oh, and no. I thought we can't split them up. They've been together since they were born and they're brother and sister. But then I think practically he moved into a flat and stuff like that. So he wouldn't have been able to have them. So it kind of just worked naturally. Are you still friends? Does he still come over for a cup of tea and see the cats? Yeah. So not as often as he did originally. But yeah, we meet up every so often and have a chat or we speak on the phone. Oh, that's nice. Yes. For me, it's been quite an amicable divorce. You know, we both made the decision. Although it's still incredibly hard, I do feel lucky that, you know, we. I think we broke up before we got to the anger and resentment fully stage. Right. I think we did it at a good time. How was it for you? Are you amicable? (laughs) We are now, yeah. 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 It's taken a while. But during those three years of back and forth and forth. We were initially amicable. And I had this idea that, you know, he'd live really nearby. And because our boy was two. And we'd be one of those couples where we'd have to explain to our child at some point that we're not actually married because we'd be such great friends. So all of that was okay. But I remember I was so lost when it broke up because I didn't want it to break up because I had a little boy and the thought of my son having divorced parents just killed me for ages. And I didn't know anyone that was divorced. I was really young. How old was I? I was 35, 35, 36. And my friends weren't divorced yet. (laughs) So I spoke to Sarah Millican because she did material about being divorced. And I didn't really know her ever so well. So I just wrote her a message and I said, listen, I, I've never helped me. Like, what, what, did, what is this? I'm in such pain. I mean, I, I think it's only when you're in absolute agony that you do email someone that you've only met once <laughs> to ask some advice about your personal life. And she said something that really stayed with me. She said, divorce is a decision one of you makes and the other one has to live with. And I thought, right, well, I'm definitely the one that has to live with it. And so how do I manage that? So I started running, having never done exercise before. And now I can't live without running. And it was amicable. And then it wasn't anymore. And then it really wasn't when the reality properly hit me that this wasn't just a very, very long tiff. And he would come back and go, what am I doing? You know, you're my wife and child, I'm staying. Then I got very upset. And then he met someone. And this was the thing that killed me. He didn't move around the corner. He moved to the other side of London. And that part of it really upset me. The fact that life wasn't now going to be popping in whenever he or I liked being these sort of divorced best mates. Now life was going to be, I have him on these days and these days and these are non-negotiable. And there will be a big epic drive across London for each visit like that. 
oh, that, for reasons that I can't exactly put my finger on other than I just felt the disruption to our boy's life was so intense. And it's not a case of they're so little at two, they don't understand. Of course they do. But it's in some ways worse because you can't explain to them with words what's going on and why they're having to make these trips and sleeping in somewhere unfamiliar to them and then coming back to me. So I had to sort of negotiate all of that with a shattered heart. And it was really difficult. And I didn't behave in a calm way. You know, there was nothing stoic or stiff upper lip about the way I handled it. And work-wise, I was the busiest I've been. And I was on all the TV shows. I was on all the panel shows. And I royally messed them all up because I was in such bits. It was a properly, when I look back, properly a time of being utterly broken and having to rebuild brick by brick and learning to, to live life a different shape to the one that I was before. And looking back on it now, like, I'm not glad of it, but it was right. Like, there's no way that I still want for it to have worked because I wouldn't have had my child. And frankly, it was wrong. I read a lot of things. And one book I read was Harumi Murakami. He wrote what I talk about when I talk about running. Yeah. So he's a, obviously a brilliant uh, novelist, but he is also a runner. He runs regular marathons. And so he talked about pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And towards the end, when I was like ready to stop being in pain, I sort of read that and I thought, okay, this is a big shift for my mind. And learning how like with your mind, you can decide to stop suffering something that is not in your control. Yeah. You know, the whole fantasy of having, you know, a marriage and a child and a husband that buys you flowers and a husband that puts a Facebook post up saying, I'm so proud of my wife. She gave birth to our little boy. All of these fantasies I had. That's so weird. I had a Facebook fantasy that my husband would put up an amazing, you know, like on an anniversary and be like, I'm so lucky. And he never did it. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I thought that fantasy of having a child and, and a husband and all of this that supported me, it didn't exist for me. It wasn't there. And I remember as, as my husband told me, he goes, you married the wrong man. And at the time it really hurt, but I did. I married the wrong person, but I got the right child. So that's the way I look at it now. And so things between us were really, really bad. Like, not, like normal communication was really impossible. So this is when he lived, he moved to the other side of London and he'd met someone else. Yeah. And is this after the whole divorce process? Oh, no, it was all, legally? No, no, it was all going through still. We hadn't signed the papers yet and all of that. And the thing is that this might be, I've got to be quite careful what I say, because obviously, you know, I'm very conscious when I talk about my divorce that I'm telling you my side of it, you know. If, yeah, of you course. Know, there are two sides. And when my son was older, he was about six, he said, whose fault was it that you got divorced? He said, tell me the truth. Whose fault was it? And I said, well, there are two truths. One is mine and one is your dad's. And they're both right. And as you get older, if you have more questions, then I'll answer them. But I'm not going to say, well, this is what happened to me because it's not a story can belong to more than one person. And I waited for him to ask me again as he got older, but he's a, you know, he's a 12 year old boy now. I don't think there's anything he'd like to talk about less than, um, <laughs> than his, parents. his parents' relationship. But what was interesting was, so after all this hostility, and then there was times within it where I tried to make amends, but it didn't work. It didn't work. And finally, I... I had this other boyfriend. I had mad relationships in this whole period myself. I had this boyfriend who... Um, How are they mad? Oh, my God. I mean, I did a show about one of them. One of them was the lead singer of a 90s indie band that my ex-husband really didn't like. Incredible. Yeah. So I was like, I went out with this lead singer of this like quite famous band. And so there was a part of me that was like, yeah, right, you've left me. So I'm going to go out <laughs> with a singer of a success successful band that you don't like <laughs> like a rebellion against <laughs> yeah him. and this guy was a nut job turned out that this this um singer had a double life and i ended up getting the phone number of his other girlfriend and she and i were on the phone for 10 hours and it was absolutely 
bonkers and she'd been with them seven years and I'd only been with them for eight months. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we had this really intense conversation. She was a lot younger than me. I was 38. She was 27. We got our diaries out and just, you know, said, well, where were you on New Year's Eve? He was with me. Oh my God. He told me he was here, blah, 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 blah. And then we just talked about her relationship with him. And, and I sort of just sort of ended up being a bit of a motherly sort of person talking about it all with her. And then we spoke for several days, just rang each other up and talked for hours on the phone. And then we stopped. And um, so it was a bit mad. I got myself into really dramatic, emotionally dramatic situations. And why do you think that was? I think I was hiding chaos and not dealing with things. And it's very interesting now. Like I, I've seen friends of mine who are going through separations and they, you know, one of mine, my friends went, her husband left her out of the blue and she took herself off to Glastonbury tour and did some meditation and dealt with it and blah, blah, blah. But I think I was very young. I had being left alone raising my toddler was a shock. I felt like I'd let my boy down. The feeling that I'd left, let my child down was really intense. That was the worst part of it. But I, I had this other boyfriend and we were on off, on off, on off. And I, I went around to a friend's house, Wendy Wason, who we both know, comedian. Yes. And I was in her kitchen. She's doing an episode of this podcast. Oh, give her my love. So I went around to her house one night and her kids are a bit older than mine. So they took my kids off to play and me and her had drinks and I just collapsed on her kitchen table sobbing and she just like got her phone and just like tapped on it and she goes right I've made you an appointment to see this guy he's great I paid for it it's my present to you (laughs) she sent me off to see this incredible therapist I wondered what you were going to say she booked you then, this guy. I was like, oh, what's going on here? Wendy Wace and the pimp. He took me to places I'd never been to before. Uh, yeah, so I went to see this guy. And it was partly because he was so intuitive and so great. He said, look, your upset isn't about this boyfriend. This is unresolved issues about your ex-husband. And partly because seven years had gone by now. And I think that seven-year grief cycle is very real. And I was ready. I was ready to let it all go. And so we just meditated and I wished everyone well in it, like visualized him and everyone in what I'd seen as our battlefield. And we just smoothed it all over, got away the embers of the fires. It was absolutely the best therapy I've ever had. And literally that afternoon, my ex-husband accepted a cup of tea off me. (laughs) He popped around to see my child and collect him. And I said, you want a cup of tea? And he went, yeah. And that was the first time we'd had a cup of tea together in years. And I think accepting a cup of tea off someone is a really significant thing, isn't it? It's committing to five minutes of chat, at least with that person. Yeah. So did that feel like a turning point in your... Massively, massively. And then, you know, I I just sort of left it and I changed. I'd let go a lot of pain and a lot of bitterness. A few weeks later, my son said, oh, um, yeah, daddy's moving to Ealing which is where I live. And the whole time, this distance was the massive thing that I was very angry about. I felt so angry that he had the choice of living really near us or not. And it's, you know, whatever. But when my boy said he's moving back to Ealing, I thought, yeah, he's, he's not angry. He can see that I'm not angry anymore. He can see, he's seen something. He's felt something different about the way I am. So do you think it felt like he was trying to escape you by moving further away? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I'd never turned up at his doorstep. Like, <laughs> but well, I'm just, I'm just interested in why this distance thing was such a big thing for you. Well, the lady that he met lived there with her family, and it felt to me that uh, I don't look. I mean, it's. They're complicated emotions, aren't they? Yeah, of course. It's like the ABC of it. There's kind of like, it's, it's never about the distance. It's never just about that. It was just, I had suffered a massive defeat in not making it all work. And my work life was also had massively suffered because of all this. You know, I had a sitcom treatment in production that I pulled out of. I had loads and loads of really cool things going on work-wise that I had to pull out of because I was too broken. It sounds really dramatic, but I just wasn't functioning. 
Mm. I really wasn't functioning. And at one point I sort of had to go to a proper head doctor because it was just, you know, a sort of a breakdown really. But I don't like to call it that because I was in charge of, you know, a toddler. And so my mum moved in for a while and my brother also stayed with me. And so, you know, everyone was really aware that I wasn't coping. It's so hard, I think, you know, being a comedian as well. And our job is to be funny and entertaining and upbeat. And if your personal life is kind of falling apart and you feel anything but that. But you know what? You're right. And also... Even though it was only, what, eight, ten years ago, we didn't talk about mental health back then the way we do now. Mm. Because I've been educated about it. Back then, I didn't want anyone to know how badly I was suffering, even though it was obvious. I'd turn up to gigs and TV shows weeping. I'd weep all over the producers, the makeup artists, the other contributors. I, I would just be this person just crying in the green room. Then we'd go on air or whatever. And then I come off again. Like I was at the Jonathan Ross show as a guest and I was crying in the green room. It's just mad. How did that feel and work in your head? Did you just switch on performer, Shappy? I don't really know. And at one point they edited it out, but Jonathan Ross said to me, do you plan on having more children? I said, I don't know. My husband's left me. (laughs) And they edited it out. They did edit it out. Yeah, they should have probably left it in. And I did like... Live at the Apollo, where I was just on another planet. And I really think that was the third one I did in a row. Now, with the head I've got now, I would have gone, no, 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 no. I, I'm not going to do it three years in a row because I haven't amassed the material because I've been crying all year. So if I go on, I'll, I'll mess it up. I'll fuck it up. And I did. And then my manager at the time, he said to me, um, divorce bore. And he said, I clear rooms when I mention you in meetings now. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's really hard. Oh my God, well, that's not very helpful when you're going through something. That was quite hard to take. I think is I should have been able to be more honest with what I was going through. And like my agency at the time, yeah, it just wasn't really a place to quietly take someone aside and go, I think I'm having a breakdown. I need to be in a quiet room with a way on mm. music. But you said you should have been able to talk about it more. And I think... You know, you've obviously put the blame on yourself there. And actually, it's more about as well creating spaces where people feel like they can talk about it. If your manager's saying to you, I clear rooms when I mention your name and they're booking you for all this live stuff. Yeah. It must have been really hard, you know, because it's creating a big drama, isn't it? Sometimes saying to someone, actually, no, I need to tell you that I'm not okay and these things need to stop. You sort of feel like, you're ruining something. Absolutely. And it, and it feels like you're being ungrateful. And you know that thing of like, you know, opportunity knocks. You know what it's like in this business. You think I can't possibly say no to something so big. But you know what? There's, I have to say yes to everything yeah. and do it otherwise. You know, yeah. there's certain people that I really, really admire when I look back on their um, self-care abilities. Like there was this one female comedian that the same manager was desperate to get on live at the Apollo, but she didn't want to because she'd had a couple of clunky gigs uh, and they couldn't use, but they were trying to get her to come back and do one there. And she didn't want to. So he rang me up, my manager, and said, listen, are you a friend of hers? Can you persuade her to come on and do it? So I rang up this comedian. I won't say her name because she might not want me to tell the story. Yeah. And I said, listen, they are desperate to have you on live at the Apollo And they've asked me to talk to you and they've said that they will get you like writers to come in and help you with your set because they know that you're nervous. She stuck to her gun. She said, I'm not ready. And I think for my own sake, what I want to do with my career, this is going to do more harm than good going against my instincts, which is not to do it. And she didn't do it. And now she has got a shit hot successful sitcom (laughs) on telly. And I just always remember that. I I never had the courage to tell people what's best for me. Yeah. You know, I let them dictate and did go against my instincts. And and I don't anymore. I don't do that anymore. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So we were talking about mental health because I have anxiety and Mm. yeah, I think my anxiety came out a lot, especially during the end of my marriage Yeah, and meant I was in a really sort of difficult mental state. And then actually the breakup for me was obviously a really difficult time, but almost a bit of a relief as well, because I'd been feeling so anxious before and I, I realized so many of my kind of anxiety traits that come out that were so prevalent at that time. And I feel that like the divorce process has made me realize more about myself and my mental health and and my self care. Did you find that? Oh my God, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I look back now at my marriage and realize that I did not have a prayer to cope in the relationship so I had this really bad problem in that, yeah, that like I couldn't manage a confrontation back then. I have post-traumatic stress disorder, which I didn't know that's what it was back then when, you know, my husband was annoyed at me about yeah. something. I felt that the world was now crashing in on my head. Mm. That's what it felt like. It felt like a, a small thing was a massive thing. And, oh, I find it so difficult to breathe. You know, every little annoyance he had about me, I would take so much to heart and I'd feel like I'd have to change it. And I always felt like I couldn't, would never be good enough. I was like walking around eggshells and all of this. And now I would manage that. It's not like I'd manage that so much better. I would simply manage it. I would be able to lay boundaries and be able to stand my ground without falling to pieces. And do you think that comes from time and experience or is it through the process of that relationship and divorce that's made you well, the, the divorce, realize? The going through the divorce made me very strong. God, I want to sing Labby Sifri. <laughs> I've got a couple of divorce songs. And one of them is Titanium by Sia. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and um, I'm just imagining you in your kitchen just blasting yeah. out Titanium. <laughs> well, that was my running song during my divorce. Richmond Park was my therapy, and uh, running was my therapy. I would just drop my son off at nursery in the morning because I felt so bad. I physically felt like there was a elephant sitting on my chest every morning I'd wake up and there was an elephant on my chest and I couldn't breathe it didn't occur to me to go to a doctor or I did see a therapist she was brilliant but um so for me it was getting my running shoes on dropping my son off at nursery and running just running and listening to music like I needed that like I needed air and then it was about four years ago where I had therapy because like these behaviors when I'm in a relationship and my partner is annoyed at me and me thinking that the world's about to fall apart and then the way I behave yeah and and then like post-traumatic stress disorder was diagnosed all the classic symptoms it's such a massive umbrella sometimes I feel silly saying it but I've got anxiety and post-traumatic so I don't really I'm telling you because we're talking about mental health but the umbrella is big so I never thought I could ever be under that umbrella but it just made so much sense that my fight or flight instinct was so clear to everyone (laughs) who knew me 
And so did it help you to have a name for it and like a label? I don't really see it as a label. I see it as a way that my brain has learned to behave from a very, very young age. So it's not like a disease I've got. It's not like, oh, well, I've got post-traumatic stress disorder. So that's that. This is me deal with it I completely recognize it as something that I need to acknowledge but it was more of an acknowledgement of a process that my brain had got through to deal with emotions and the way it dealt with it was the way a two-year-old child deals with it not an adult recognizing that was really interesting and realizing that the catastrophe that I was always on the edge of expecting had already happened my marriage broke up so all of this was residue of that, you know, like all the, and, and also like other childhood stuff, they'd already happened. Yeah. So there's certain things that, ha- that happened when I was very, very young that caused me to be pushed to an emotional extreme because I couldn't defend myself. And that happened for like for as long as I remember being alive. So from a tiny, tiny child being in a situation where you can't defend yourself. So all you can do is scream, cry and feel terrified. And then if you don't address that, that is the way you might behave whenever you are confronted or where you feel bullied or where you feel misunderstood even. You behave as you did when you were a little child because along the way, chemically, it's sort of an imbalance that can occur. It's how you're dealing with it that's the thing. You can't change your situation, but you can change your reaction to the situation. And is that something that you're working through now? And do you think you can manage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's why I'm working through. And, and that's a massive reason where I finally sort of got to a place in my life when I acknowledge that um, I'm better off single because I find being in relationships since then, I've been in terrible ones and I've been in ones with really lovely guys, but I'm clearly making the wrong decisions, I'm not setting boundaries that I need to set. So I find being single is a much happier place to be for me. And do you think you can ever see yourself being in a long-term relationship no. again? No, not now, not, not no. I really can't. Like the thought terrifies me. Maybe I'll feel differently when my kids are grown. I don't know. But then, you know, I might fall in love again. And also I had to acknowledge that I hadn't fallen in love since my husband. I kept thinking that I had. I kept telling myself that I had. And I ended up in these relationships and they weren't right. And then it, it sort of made me question, well, what did, was I even in love with my husband? What does it even mean being in love? Mm. It's a chemical thing. And then when those chemicals subside you're with another human being that suddenly it becomes about who's going to take the bins out. And then you sort of look at that human being and go, well, why are we even together? And for me, relationships after my marriage have been really hard for me to stay in. In fact, I have some guilt because I've hurt a couple of men just by changing my mind after promising I wouldn't changing my mind about the whole thing. And do you think it's that fight or flight thing again though? Right. What I find since my divorce is that whoever comes into my life, when we hit a snag and that snag needs to be fixed, it takes energy away from my kids and what I would give to them. And with work and the kids, another relationship for me, I find it very hard to make the sacrifices needed to make a relationship work when it's not the father of my children. Yeah. So for us to, to work this out, my six-year-old daughter is going to have a little bit less of me because I'm trying to give you my energy. And my son, you know, and I just found I cannot. Or, well, you know what our work is like. You're like me. We're hustling all the time. And work mm. takes up such a massive part of our thoughts and our energy. We're in the creative profession. So it's all-consuming. And so... Everything else, I want to go to the children and with the men in my life, because they haven't been the dads of either of my children, I found unable. Gets to the point where I, I, I start to resent the time that they're taking off of my, of my energy. Does that make me sound like a terrible person? No, it makes you sound like a very dedicated mother. I tried and I couldn't, and I'm not going to try again because it hurts. I think it's a big risk though, isn't it? When you're doing okay, like I feel like now I'm doing okay on my own and with my career and stuff and actually letting someone else into that and all the effort that that takes is a big risk and it might shake things again. But then equally, 
it could be amazing and it could make you a better career person and a better mother because of what it brings into your life? I mean, I've spoken to other single mums and when I've said this to them, some of them that have remarried, they go, look, when the right person comes, it'll work and you'll know. And I believe that. I think, you know, if in doubt, don't. Yeah. But if it's right, it, it, it carries you. There'll be no effort. And because my daughter didn't have a dad, I did go looking for a dad for her, I think. I did meet guys who adored her and I would sort of ignore how they made me feel in favor of, oh, but look, she had, you know, she could help the daddy after all. And then I realized that actually, you know, what, what she needed was a sane, happy mummy. And um, yeah, it takes me a while to figure things out, emotional things out. I've always told myself, oh, I'm a really emotional person, but actually I'm not very honest to myself about them. So that took a while. And, and the three of us now, we're just really happy. And I think I definitely wouldn't have anyone else in my life until the kids are a lot older. Yeah. It's not fair on them. Well, it's nice that you're happy because yeah. we've heard about, you know, your sad times. Do you remember one time in particular that was like your lowest moment? I had a moment when I was crying on my mum's kitchen floor. Mm. And I just couldn't stand up. My lowest moment, you know, was actually probably within the marriage, being pregnant and just weeping and weeping because I knew my husband didn't love me. I just knew he didn't. And my brother having to come at two in the morning to look after me. Do you know what? This was a really low time. I was in my kitchen at my computer and I just put my head down and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And then I looked up and my, my son had come in. He was only about three at the time. And I just, you know, obviously I, I never, I tried to never, ever let my son see how upset I was. Mm. I drive my tears, la la right, you know, mum was going to get you a sandwich, whatever. And it was only about a couple of months ago. My son's 12 now. And he spoke of that day and I was like, oh my God, do you remember? And he went, yeah. I came to the kitchen and you were just at your laptop crying. I was like, gosh, you must have been standing there for a while. And he goes, I don't know, I just remember it. I thought, oh, damn it. There's a lot of stuff that happened. I just think about my son and go, oh, please don't let this be one of the snapshots of your childhood that you remember. Yeah, but then also it's showing that his mum has feelings and expresses her emotions and is human, which is quite uh, yeah. powerful yeah. too. Yeah, but he, you know, he had to grow up quite quickly. You know, at mm. the age of two, having his world split apart like that and having to navigate the emotions he was feeling without the language to express them was really difficult. And interestingly, when me and his dad, this glorious summer when we were friends again and he had that cup of tea and he moved to Elaine, my ex-husband was at the Edinburgh Festival. I was and I was home and I was looking for flats for him on Zoopla. And I found the perfect one, like really near us to rent. And I rang him and I said, listen, I found this flat. It's a real bargain. Do you trust me to go and see it and just get it for you? And he went, yeah. And that was amazing. That was one of like the most beautiful moments of my life. <laughs> because after all of the pain and the battles and the war and the horrible things that were said, he was like, yeah, I trust you to go around a property and decide for me to live there so I don't lose it. And it was amazing. So he moved into this flat. By the way, I've swerved your question. I'm now talking about the really beautiful moments. No, but I, th I think you've answered both. And that was actually my next question. Yeah. Do you remember a lovely moment when you thought we're going to be okay? Yeah. So that's really nice. And he broke up with this partner that he'd been with. And then about a year later, my son and I, my family were on holiday and my ex-husband phoned and he never phones me. We wouldn't phone me on holiday unless it was like a big deal. And he said, listen, I've met someone. And this massive smile spread across my face. I thought there's no way he would have told me he's met someone if it wasn't really big for him. And I was like, who? And I said, he said, it was someone you know. You know, when I look back, at, even now I'm thinking about it, my heart's like all warm because I was really happy for him. I was genuinely happy for him. And he told me who it was. And it was a woman I knew and, and liked enormously. And I was, I actually squealed. I said, oh my God, she's amazing. How brilliant. And then now they're engaged. And 
it was so wonderful to see him in love properly because he wasn't before, but this was love. He, you know, he was just besotted. And when I saw that, this was like only about two, three years ago, I thought, wow, there's hope. He's found that special, beautiful thing after divorce. And so I might too. Yeah. That was really, really lovely. And now he's like my cousin or something. Yeah. I see him as like a family member, but not like a dead close family member. Like I'll always look after him. I'll always be there if him and his fiance need anything. That's a really nice place to have got to. Yeah. It took a long time. After all that difficulty. Yeah. It took a long time. And it was weird for my son when we became friends again. Yeah, we were so like happy that we'd put all the hostility behind us. I think we sort of didn't look at the fact that for our son, this is really weird because for most of his life, he's had complete separate mum, dad. And suddenly there were, you know, times we spent with him were blurred. Maybe we'd both take him somewhere. He'd come out to dinner or whatever. And I think my, my son was a bit discombobulated for a bit, but no, he's fine. Yeah. And do you think, like, after all you've been through, and I think that's really nice sort of that you're in a, like, good place now with the divorce and the relationship. After all you've been through, would there be, you know, if anyone's listening and they're thinking of getting divorced or they find themselves in a similar situation to you or are currently going through something, is there anything that you'd say to them that you found useful from your experience? Uh, you know what? I, I have friends who have had marriages that are really difficult. They've thought about leaving and they talk to me about it because mine did break up. And I do say that it's so hard rebuilding. It's really, really difficult, you know. And I said to one friend that, you know, you have to consider that if this happens, then in time there'll be another person tucking your children in bed and kissing them goodnight when you're not there. Mm. This friend said that that really stayed with them and they plowed on and, you know, years later they're still together, which is nice. I have seen such incredible beauty in relationships that my friends have had, marriages that my friends are in, where they have horrific time sometimes maybe like for a few years and they've got through it and they're still together. And it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and what I've learned is you both have to believe in marriage to stay in it. If, if one, cause for me, you know, my parents have been together for nearly 50 years and they bicker every day still, but they stay together. So that was what I was taught happens. Like it's non-negotiable. Your marriage, you stay together. Whereas my ex-husband's mom and dad broke up when he was little and his life has always been mom and dad living in separate houses, blended families and all of that. So that was his normality. We did not discuss these things when we were in love and getting married. Getting married is about being in love. And I don't think it is. It's about, I mean, it is obviously, of course it is, but it's about your values and how, what shape you see your, your life. And what I would say to people that are getting married is really and truly discuss what your values are. When I look back, I actually wrote about this in my column last week about a really crucial point in my stopping being angry with my ex-husband is acknowledging that he hadn't changed. It wasn't like he was this person that fit with me, was a match for me, and then he changed. All the signs were there from the very beginning that we weren't compatible. I can totally relate to that. Yeah. We were absolutely incompatible from the very first lovey-dovey conversation we had. I'm going to tell you the conversation we had. We were, we were sick with love for each other, cuddling on his sofa, talking about what we wanted in life, what we wanted to do. And I said to him, one of my dreams has been to track gorillas in the wild. And he instantly went, oh, that'll never happen. I'm not into travel at all, Right. And I went, oh, God. oh okay. <laughs> now, there are so many things wrong with that. It's not wrong that he's not into travel. It's, it's wrong that he felt it's so, like, he just said, no, that'll never happen. Yeah. And we'd only been dating for like three weeks. And now if I was dating someone and they said that, 
that would be a massive alarm bell that I would heed. But I didn't. I glossed over it. And, and he will have glossed over stacks of stuff with me too. Like the time I was so drunk, I had a fake conversation on the phone with an ex-boyfriend. There was no one on the other line. I was being bonkers and I was drunk and I was just being such a dick. So I'm trying to sort of, you know, balance it out and say I was a horror as well to him, for him. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's two sides to everything. Yeah. That's reminded me of a time when my ex-husband, when we were very in love at the beginning, said to me that his dream was to set up an Airbnb or a hotel and run it. And I was like, no, I'm never doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and we just glossed over it and carried on. Does he run an so Airbnb now? <laughs> no, he doesn't. But maybe he will one day. Well, that's it. Because I see couples and they're like, set up projects together and they're really excited about, you know, renovating a house together. And I think, yeah, that's as it should be, you know, shared interests. And mm. despite the fact that he was a comic too, we didn't have any shared interests. I bought a flat near him. I, just coincidentally, I also bought a flat in Brixton. And it was my first flat and it was slightly bigger than his and nicer than his between you and me. And he sort of came over <laughs> this brand new flat that I bought. I was so excited about it. And he goes, mm, I think it's best we just live at my place because I'm also settled there. And I went, oh, okay. Like there was no talk of, oh, well, you've just bought this place and so maybe I can rent my place out and move in with you. It was like, no, we're going to stay at mine. And I was like, okay, that too is a red flag. You know, it's like, no, there should be mm. a discussion about and, and also you should be quite excited for me that I've just bought this place and think oh look she's just bought this place and we're going to decorate it live there for a while let's see how it goes it's easy in hindsight though isn't it to spot the red flags but when you're so in love and you think this is the best thing ever you just go yeah. along with everything I was so in love and I was young and also my confidence wasn't what it was now I mean I'm looking at a poster of now of um, my Edinburgh show in that period and Oh my God, I was so thin. But um, I look back on it and, um, and remember how um, unconfident I was with blokes. And Christian, my ex-husband, was cool. He was really cool and he was really cute. And I was so impossibly flattered that he liked me. I'd never been pursued by a cool guy. <laughs> before. And then I remember we both had a gig at Jonglers in Edinburgh. And the next day we just sat on Princess Street, you know, the hill. Yeah. And we talked for hours and it started raining and we just sat in the rain and talked. And I phoned my best friend. and It's I, like a rom -com. It was amazing. And we, I, was, I was coming down and it just got so muddy. So we're slipping and sliding down. And, and that night we, we were staying in like hotel apartments and I went to his apartment and we talked all night and then he fell asleep. And then I went up to my apartment, changed into my pajamas, brushed my teeth and came back and slept on the single bed. So when he woke up, I was like in the, in the single bed, like we didn't sleep together. But, and he said, hi. And I was like, hi, I just wanted to stay here. And he goes, I know, isn't that wonderful? And I was like, yeah. Anyway, so I phoned my best friend and I said, I can talk to him like he's a girl. <laughs> and that was the thing. He was the first bloke that I could talk to as easily as I talked to women. And I thought that was really, really unique and special. But now, 47-year-old me can talk to everyone. <laughs> the way, I, the way I, I'm talking to you now. Yeah. It was just, I had such little confidence when it came to talking to men. I'd always been back of cars with really loud male comedians and I was so shy and I wouldn't ever open my mouth to talk and then he was a guy that I could talk to like I, I do to my, my girlfriends and now I realize that that's normal oh so the cool guy fell for you <laughs> cool you guy. fell for him you got divorced and now you're a cool girl I'm a cool girl now yeah I'm a yeah. cool girl yeah it's interesting it's all very interesting. I hope I haven't made him sound mean because he's not. He's a really sweet guy, but we were just incompatible. <laughs> so incompatible. And my God, times have changed. Like I didn't know what gaslighting meant back then. I didn't know what controlling meant back then. I didn't know these words that have become such a part of our vocabulary. And I talked to younger comics now, younger, you know, they're the young people that I see. And when they talk about, oh, I was in a toxic relationship, I didn't even have the language to say this is toxic. 
I'd be like, well, this is a waking hell. Let's work on it bit by bit. No, it doesn't work. (laughs) End it. I think we're realizing so much more about ourselves. And also I've learned that if you're in a relationship where you're finishing with each other once a quarter, it's, it's just not right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Where can people find out more about you and follow you online? I'm on Twitter, at Shapukorsandy. This has been so serious. I'm going to get off now and just go, oh my God, I'm meant to be a comedian. I was meant to be all jokey, jokey about my divorce. No, you're meant to be truthful and it's been good. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.